Holy Spirit, we pray that your presence among us would soften our hearts and open our ears to hear your voice speaking through your word to us this morning. We ask you to give us attentive hearts and attentive minds to the word that is read, and as Pastor Pete proclaims it, we pray your spirit would anoint him to speak boldly your truth and for your spirit to anoint us to receive it with faith. We thank you that you feed us with your word, and we ask you to feed us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. We're reading this morning from Luke 18, beginning in verse 18. It's found on page 877 of your pew Bible. I invite you to hear now the word of the Lord. And a ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, All these I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, One thing you still lack. Sell all that you have. And distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. And Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, Then who can be saved? But he said, What is impossible with men is possible with God. And Peter said, See, we have left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, There is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come, eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Over the years, I've had a number of evangelistic experiences in which I thought I had met the perfect candidate, the right person at the right time in their life, asking the right questions with just the right interest and attitude on their part. And in those conversations, when a a person has asked me to explain salvation to them, and sometimes those have come up out of the blue, and other times I've seen them coming, but, but I've always thought, this is the easiest evangelistic opportunity ever. And I thought that I explained salvation pretty well, well enough, But I was wrong. Weeks, sometimes months, and and a couple of relationships that I can think of right now, it might have been a few years later, when I've checked in with these friends and they've told me in no uncertain terms that they don't want to have anything to do with being a disciple of Jesus Christ. I got over being shocked by the perfect candidate walking away long ago. We need to understand how to answer the big question 
of eternal life, of salvation that's here in this text. And, and for that, let's turn to the greatest evangelist of all time, to Jesus. Now, calling Jesus the greatest evangelist of all time might sound a little odd if all we have to go on is this passage. Because, A, he only had a few disciples in his earthly ministry. We can think of many, many uh, leaders of the church who now live, have thousands of people who've been converted. And, B, in this story, his evangelistic opportunity is a complete failure. This account is recorded in three of the Gospels, in Matthew uh, chapter 10, excuse me, in Matthew chapter 19, in Mark chapter 10, and then here in, in Luke 18. And, and each account adds a little more detail. And so what I'm going to do as we look at the text is have a composite of this perfect candidate. For instance, Matthew uh, adds the detail that this rich man was young. He was a rich young man. And Mark adds that he, he ran up and he knelt before Jesus. So we have here the archetypal seeker. He's asking the right question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And he's asking the right person, the Messiah. And he has the right attitude. He's religious. Scholars agree that uh, he must have been a leader of, of the uh, religious community, of the synagogue. He's moral. Well, Peter and the apostles must have been stoked to add a person like this to their team, wouldn't you? What church elder or pastor wouldn't want this fellow to be in an inquirer's class? Right, Andy? This, this is it. This guy is going to tithe. He's going to volunteer. He's rich. He's young. Ding, ding. What's not to like? Okay, Jesus, you're on. Show us how it's done. You've got the perfect candidate now. Seal the deal. Oh, if being a disciple of Jesus was as easy as saying yes to a number of beliefs, agreeing to volunteer our time, fill out a pledge card, and being an all-around nice person, this story would have turned out quite differently. The the first hint that things aren't really going according to plan basically happens when Jesus opens his mouth. Look at what Jesus says. Here's this, this poor guy comes to him and asks the right question. Look what Jesus says. Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. It sounds, sounds a little prickly, doesn't it? What are you calling me good? Sort of. Okay, let's, uh, aren't we supposed to be friendship evangelism? Every question is a good question. And Jesus is sort of putting him on notice, isn't he? But what I think the Lord is doing here, what, what he's doing is he's, he doesn't want to let the ruler's superficial view of goodness go unchallenged. Jesus is directing his attention to God in whom ultimate goodness resides. See, only in understanding God as infinitely good can he, this man hoped to discover that human good deeds cannot earn eternal life. But Jesus here is speaking to the man in his own language. And instead of sharing the gospel of grace, Jesus' good news of unmerited salvation, he jumps right into this man's paradigm, if you will, right into his paradigm, into his language, all that he's known, 
everything that he's lived his life for, it's all based on his religion, which is obey the law perfectly, being totally moral, and being an all-around good Jew. And that's true. If you could do those three things, you would inherit eternal life. The problem is no human being can perfectly measure up to God's perfect, holy, good standard. So Jesus says, well, you know the commandments. And, and then he lists off five of the Ten Commandments from the, the second tablet that Moses carried, the second half of the Decalogue. These are the, the commandments that have to do with human relationships, just to, to elicit a response from this man that Jesus knows is coming. And, and what does the man say? Oh, I, I have obeyed all of those since my youth. Now, what do you suppose Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, is thinking right now when the man says, I've obeyed all of these since my youth. Really? Really? You've obeyed them all perfectly to my father's standard. I don't think so. Instead of finding terms acceptable to him, Jesus introduces terms that are absolutely unacceptable to him. Instead of lowering any remaining barriers, he raises the bar. Instead of making it easy for him to believe and be saved, Jesus made it impossible for him to be saved. Why? Because salvation from start to finish is not a human achievement. Look at verse 22. It says, When Jesus heard this, he said to him, One thing you still lack, sell all that you have, distribute it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come and follow me. Mark adds that Jesus loved this man. You see, this perfect candidate, like all of us, wasn't perfect after all. It's just that it's far easier for Jesus to see than it is for us to see. Jesus saw through his superficiality. Jesus saw through his superficial morality. And Jesus saw that this man's wealth was the source of his security. It was an idol. This man's issue was his wealth. Now, it's generally true that things are easier for the wealthy. And Pastor Andy's just reminded myself and all of us of where we are, our station in this world. Money opens doors. That's no surprise. It doesn't need to be illustrated, whether it's education, healthcare, leisure, housing, travel. Almost any area of life is eased by access to a lot of cash. Money gives one access and power. But here we discover one door that is not open to the wealthy. This man's wealth was not a benefit in regard to eternal life. No, in fact, it was a barrier. Now listen closely. We will miss the point if we think, oh, this doesn't apply to me. I'm not rich. And we will miss the point if we think this message is strictly about giving our money to the poor. And we will totally miss the point if we say to ourselves, what gives? Is, is Jesus a Marxist? What's going on here? Am I supposed to sell everything? Is that, is that the point? No. Listen, 
Your personal issue may be your wealth. You're building bigger barns, as Jesus says. You're, you're building these bigger barns for yourself and neglecting good, faithful stewardship. You may be stealing from God by not giving sacrificially. And if that's the case, I urge you to get right with God. Pull out your checkbook. But the main point here is that for this man, money had become a substitute for God. If he truly wanted eternal life, Jesus was going to have to, and we are going to have to, set aside our substitutes for God and, and in fact, smash them like idols being smashed and removed from our life. Here's an illustration. I, I used this last week in, in a way, and I, I want to preface this by saying I, I know many of us, myself included, have been touched by cancer, loved ones who have suffered through cancer. So I, I know this is a tender illustration, but I think it's, it's helpful for us to understand what's happening in the text. You go to visit an oncologist, and you go into her office, and she pulls out uh, your CT and PET scan and says, your cancer can be dealt with, but let me tell you what's involved. And, and then she explains that you need immediate surgery, and we'll follow that up with chemotherapy. So you know the problem, and you know the expert advice for a solution. And you respond, I'm not prepared to put myself through that to get well. And you walk out of the office, out of that consult, sad. Because you know you have a problem, you know it can be fixed, but you decide not to have it done. That is exactly what's happening in this man's life. All of his religion, all of his wealth, all of his prestige, all of his morality hadn't given him peace or joy or hope. He was a restless soul. He was searching for God. He sensed a deep absence of God in his life. Yet when confronted with the reality that his money was his God, it was what he relied on, and that to experience new life, treasure in heaven, Jesus calls it, he would have to let it go, he went away sad. Now, it doesn't say he went away mad. It says he went away sad. Why is that? Because Jesus had uncovered him. Not in a judgmental spirit. Mark adds the words that Jesus looked at this man before he responded. It says he looked at him and he loved him. But Jesus also didn't go chase him down. And say, oh, wait, 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 wait. I know that's, no, no, come, come back, come back. We can, let's just talk this through. Let me explain. I know that was hard. You don't hear that all the time. Let, let, me, let me couch that in language that will ease it for you. You know, he, he let him go. The rich ruler went away sad, but his sadness was matched by Jesus' own sadness. The feeling of sadness that, that this man could feel so secure in all of his stuff, in his 401k plan, in his house, in his bank accounts, that it was so easy for him to rely on all of his stuff 
that would be here today and, and gone tomorrow, that this man would be so jazzed by an IPO instead of knowing treasure in heaven. That must have made Jesus incredibly sad. The perfect candidate, the right timing, the right question, the right person, the right answer, but the wrong decision. Jesus uncovered his covetous heart. This man had broken the first commandment and probably indeed had broken all ten. What we have here is a hard saying from Jesus and it is for me and it is for you. Do you sadden Jesus by the choices you make? The idols you keep? The things that you put great and even ultimate value on by your superficial faith? Are you looking for Jesus for total leadership in your life, even if that means lowering your lifestyle, wherever you are, whatever station in life you are, lowering your lifestyle in, in order to honor your commitments? Do you resent Jesus' intrusion into your personal affairs? Do you want a religion that gives you heaven and lets you keep all the toys? How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. Jesus says it's like a camel going through the eye of a needle. It's impossible. No amount of morality, no religious system, not even your good intentions and good deeds will earn you a right to go to heaven. So the disciples say, who can be saved? Who, who can know salvation if this is where the bar is set? And then there's good news. Jesus says, what is impossible with men is what? Possible with God. This man went away sorrowful because of his bondage to his stuff, bondage that can only be broken by God. Don't ever underestimate the power of the gospel. Don't ever underestimate the power of God. For every story of an ideal candidate who walked away, I've got 10 more people who were so far gone, so flawed, there's no way they were ever going to set foot in church, and yet God saved them. And as a little aside, I reconnected with a friend I haven't seen in 20 years uh, on a vacation with some buddies. And he said to me, Pete, I never thought you, and I thought he was going to say, I never thought you'd, you'd be a pastor. And he said, I never thought that you would stay a Christian, let alone be a pastor. But God proved him wrong. Look at the life of Zacchaeus. The very next chapter, Luke 19, Zacchaeus was a very wealthy man. He was a tax collector. Jesus comes to his house, and when he emerges, this Zacchaeus said no one would think, well, he's going to trust the Lord. He's immoral. What's Jesus going to his house for? Zacchaeus comes out, and he says, I'm going to give half of all of my wealth to the poor, and anyone that I've defrauded, I will pay back fourfold. And Jesus says, on this day, salvation has come to this house. Don't ever underestimate the power of the gospel. Only when God gives you a new heart will you truly be willing 
and able to respond to the demands of Jesus to lift up your cross daily and to follow him. Until then, a person may be interested, may be involved, may be volunteering, heck, may be ordained in the church, but will remain unchanged. Finally, as the praise team comes up, I love this. I love what Peter says here. He, he blurts out, Lord, we've, we've left everything to follow you. And look at what Jesus says. He says, truly I say to you, I, I promise you, follow me, leave it all behind for me, and you will receive many times more blessings in the age to come, eternal life. What Jesus means there is that he himself will make up for any loss. If you give sacrificially of your time, talent, treasure, not as a burden or as a service fee or as a last minute, oh, here comes the plate, but as God-honoring stewardship, Jesus says you will get back 100 times the blessing of Christ's generosity. If you reset your family priorities, you will get back 100 times the blessing of spiritual family. If you give up your security and your stuff, you get back 100 times the comfort and security of knowing that the Lord owns your house, owns all the banks, and Camp David, and GA, he owns it all. And he wants to bless you and be a blessing through you. Jesus will put his finger on the issue of your life. Maybe this message is not about you, but he's going to put the issue his finger on the issue of your life. Maybe that's what's happening right now. Many of you have shared stories with me and Pastor Andy. Many of you are thinking about these things. Many of you are on the brink of setting a new commitment to Christ, a new lifestyle, a new pattern of giving and praying and serving. That's the point of this entire sermon series, Save to Serve, as we break new ground this morning to expand and improve our facility. I want to make the cause of serving Christ so attractive that you'll no longer be able to resist the magnetism. I want to make the cause so attractive that you can't resist it, that you'll lay down whatever it takes to follow him. Give thanks to the Lord, our God and King. His love endures forever. For he is good, he is above all things. His love endures forever. Forever. Those are the words of the song we're about to sing. Let's stand and let's praise him. Those words are printed in your bold. And let's stand and sing with the praise team. One, two.